If you would, join me in taking out your Bibles and turning with me to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 7. We've been in Mark now for 26 weeks, and we're not even halfway there. We will be there probably in about a month. We'll be to the halfway hinge point in Mark. As we uh, turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word be our rule, may Your Holy Spirit be our teacher, and may Your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Fifty years ago, in the summer of 1966, a single from Motown Records out of Detroit, sung by the Temptations, was released. It went all the way up to number 13 on the Billboard pop chart, but it spent eight weeks at number one on the Rhythm and Blues chart. The lead singer, David Ruffin, opens with these words, I know you want to leave me but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg, plead for your sympathy, I don't mind, cause you mean that much to me. Ain't too proud to beg. Now some of you have an idea of what I'm talking about, others of you have no clue, but just see me afterwards. Well, something similar is going on in our text this morning. Similar, though not exact, for the pleading in this song has to do with a man begging for a second chance with a departed lover. But in our text, the pleading is associated and the begging is associated with a woman begging Jesus for help. Now, in Mark's account of the life and ministry of Jesus, we've understood it to be a docudrama. You know, the gospel as a literature genre, was something new. Jesus' arrival, God incarnate, was so so, uh, earth-changing, earth-shaking, it obviously changed our calendars, but it also changed by having to have a a new literary form. And, And this is where we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are Gospels. They are docudramas of the life and ministry of Jesus. Not so much a chronological account, although pretty much chronological, but they are picking and choosing to make a theological statement. And Mark has arranged his gospel for a purpose. And for the last two weeks in this docudrama, we've seen in Mark 7, 1 through 23, we've seen Mark record what Jesus thinks about tradition, worship, and sin. We've seen Jesus show us that the problem is not an external matter of ritual purity, but rather it's an internal condition of the human heart. And we've seen the solution is not man-made religion, but rather a God-made and a God-given remedy. At the matter of the heart, at the heart of the matter is the true condition of the human heart. And what we all need desperately is not just a change of heart on this issue or that issue, but what we really need is a change of heart, a new heart. And so Mark has prepared his readers for this present account by the extended discussion of what it is that um, does and does not defile a person. He's um, shown us what 
make someone clean and unclean. Well, now we see Jesus, we're going to see him enter a, an unclean Gentile area. He has contact with an unclean Gentile woman and he cast out an unclean spirit, a demon, from the daughter. Well, after setting the scene for us, Mark, in just a few words, will describe Jesus' encounter with this woman. And in unpacking our text, we will consider the request of the woman, the apparent refusal of Jesus, and the response both of the woman and of Jesus. Join with me now as I read Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there he, that is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way, The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Before we look at the request of the woman, let's set the scene. Jesus goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Well, why travel there? Mark provides no explanation, but the clues we find beforehand. Jesus purposely leaves Galilee to get away. Some of you may recall that Southwest Airlines um, commercial, Want to Get Away? But not because Jesus had done something embarrassing, but because he is tired. He wants his rest. He wants his disciples to rest. So for whatever the reason, to escape the meddling harassment of Herod and the Pharisees, or to find time to be with his disciples alone, Jesus leaves Galilee and walks through what are now parts of Syria and Lebanon. He was looking for some peace and quiet. He found himself among Gentiles. And yet our text shows us that Jesus could not be hidden. Jesus' inability to hide His reputation and his fame were too great to be hidden because reports of his words and works had preceded him into Gentile territory. Now contrast Jesus for a moment with a lot of people we may know. People that want to grab attention. Look at me. I'm important. You know, I used to think that was just the celebrity culture of Hollywood, but with the advent of social media and Selfies, isn't the celebrity culture among us? Look at me. Give attention to me. But Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't have to advertise himself. People knew he was important because he had authority in teaching. Astounding miracles he was performing. Jesus' fame came about not because he was looking for it, 
as an entertainer, a politician, a military coup leader may do, but because of the words of hope that he preached and the mighty works of healing and compassion that he performed. Now it's important, I think, to note that Jesus is not here deliberately taking the gospel to the Gentiles, but rather he is showing his 12 disciples that the gospel will be for all. And we'll indeed see that in the book of Acts. And this idea that the gospel is for all is going to be demonstrated now in this next encounter. So let's look at the request of the woman. And we see that in verses 25 and 26. A woman with a sick daughter came and fell down at his feet. She knows Jesus' reputation. She's heard of him. And she's learned that he is in the area. So she seeks him and she finds him. And when she finds him, what does she do? She falls down at his feet. Demonstrates physically the urgency and the intensity of her request. I mean, think about it. If someone fell down at your feet, what would you think? This is happening to Jesus all the time. Deep respect she shows, but also profound grief she demonstrates. This woman is a Gentile and she's from Tyre. Now, did you hear that? She's a woman, she's a Gentile, and she's from Tyre, a region, a pagan region, a region that's been trouble for the people of God. I mean, did y'all count that? A woman, a Gentile, and from Tyre. How many strikes? Three strikes, you're already out. I mean, Mark here is going out of his way to emphasize who she is, to present, as it were, her credentials. She's a Gentile by birth, culture, and religion. I think this is a test case for what Jesus has already been saying in the first part of Mark chapter 7 about the clean and the unclean. From a Jewish perspective, she had the most going against her. She's a woman, a Gentile, and she's from pagan Tyre. And not only that, she was concerned about a daughter. Remember earlier, Jairus had a daughter whom Jesus delayed, but yet healed. So in, this, in the ancient Jewish world, this was a combination of need that was beneath any true rabbi. But of course, as we are seeing, that Jesus is not just an ordinary Jewish rabbi. We also learn something rather significant about this woman. To quote David Ruffin again, she ain't too proud to beg. This is a brazing and shocking request. She had nothing to lose but everything to gain. Can you picture the mother's anguish of her daughter being possessed by an unclean spirit, possessed by a demon? And her anguish drives her boldness. She asked Jesus to cast the demon, the unclean spirit out. In other words, she says, restore my daughter to who she was created to be. Made in the image of God. Whole. Complete. And yet, we see that this passionate request 
of the woman is met coolly by Jesus in an apparent refusal. So let's look at verse 27, the refusal. By far, this is one of the most interesting and perplexing statements of Jesus. Some commentators mention that when they read this, they almost want to say, is this really Jesus? But here it is before us. Because it seems nothing short of an insult. What did Jesus say? Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Most likely Jesus is quoting some kind of popular proverb, which of course, as I said, seems nothing short of an insult. Jesus' apparent refusal to help here in a situation of clear need conveys the impression of harshness and insensitivity. Jesus responds to her request with a refusal, or so it seems. Jesus promises her nothing. Now in Matthew chapter 15, we read Matthew's account of this same instance, and we see Matthew saying this, that Jesus doesn't answer her a word at first. This seemingly rude reply to a broken-hearted and desperate woman has often unsettled readers. I don't know if it did to you, but it does to me at first as well. In fact, George Bernard Shaw, an Irish playwright, said this, this was a time when Jesus was not a Christian. Tongue-in-cheek. But what did Jesus mean? Was He being harsh? Well, we don't know the tone of his voice. An attempt have been made to soften his words because to be sure, um, the word translated dogs could be seen as puppies. And again, it's a popular proverb, a figure of speech. It's like saying someone is putting the cart before the horse because there, there are two things going on in this parable, uh, a short statement, uh, children and dogs. And there's a Uh, a couple of main interpretations. There's a theological interpretation where Jesus is declaring that he came for the Jew first and then the Gentile. And to be sure, we see that elsewhere and we see the rest of the New Testament uh, playing that out. But there's also a practical interpretation. Jesus had come to this region with his disciples to find rest and haven from the danger of being seen merely as some kind of miracle worker. Jesus and his 12 disciples had gathered to enjoy the fellowship of a family at this meal. Should he, as the head of this family, interrupt his meal, as it were, to feed dogs? But step back with me and let's look at a deeper theological meaning. The Jew first and then the Gentile. I mean, did this woman possess the background to appreciate this distinction? I don't think we, we can see here that she has that level of sophistication. And so back to the practical. Jesus here is probably alluding to a current domestic scene. The table is set and the family has gathered. And it would be inappropriate to interrupt the meal and allow the household dogs to carry off the children's bread. In other words, it's not time for a public ministry here with you. But let's think more about what Jesus may be doing here. Because again, his words are more of a parable and not a put down. Because what Jesus is doing is he's testing. 
He's testing the nature of her trust in him. Did she see him merely as a medicine man or a magician like so many other people may have seen Jesus to be? This isn't Jesus refusing the woman. This is Jesus testing. Testing her faith. And parents, you know you do this with your children all the time. And it's good because it's part of their growth and development. The power of God, however, is not is properly released not in a context of superstition and magic, but rather what? In response to faith. We've seen that before in Mark. Jesus, therefore, put before the woman this puzzling, mysterious, enigmatic statement. Why? To test her faith. Because the irony of this comparison, am I a dog, as it were, is intended to invite a renewed appeal. What? Jesus is making it difficult. Jesus is making it difficult for her. Why? To bring her to the end of herself so that the only thing she can plead is what? Mercy. She can't plead entitlement as a child would be entitled. She can only plead mercy. The woman's request is met by Jesus' refusal to act. Well, what will her response be to Jesus? And what in turn will Jesus' response be to her? Well, let's find out as we look at the response in verses 28 through 30. First, verse 28, the response of the woman. Remember, we're in Mark. And Mark can be seen as the shortest catechism. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should a person respond to the person and work of Jesus? So how is this person, this woman, responding to the person and work of Jesus? Well, notice first what she did not do. She didn't respond with self-pity, anger, or tears. Here's what she did. She accepted his words. She was not offended nor insulted. She clearly understands the comparison found in the parable. So, she understood Israel's privilege, the Jews' privilege as well. And she took also the comparison of being thought of as a dog. But she also understood about the bread. The bread and something that Jesus' own disciples didn't understand as we saw earlier. She took Jesus at his word and she put her foot in the door, so to speak. And then what does she do? She shrewdly reminds Jesus that even a dog will have his day. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Even the dogs will eat. Even if it's only crumbs. And notice it, it won't be only after the children are eating but as and while the children are eating, that crumbs are spilled and the dogs that are there benefit from the crumbs that are falling down to the floor. This woman accepted that she has no right 
at this stage to claim God's grace, but simply threw herself on His mercy, turning Jesus' parable back in His direction. Her acceptance of the comparison, the clever reply, and her profound respect for Jesus in her address show us that her confidence in His power and His goodwill has not been shaken. Think about it. She comes to Jesus, falls down at His feet, and asks for help. Jesus makes this seemingly harsh and insensitive reply. But she doesn't change her attitude toward Jesus. It's not been shaken. Well, what's the response of Jesus? Verse 29, And He said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Most commentators, when looking at this passage, they see that Jesus was delighted by her irresistible confidence in Him. Jesus recognized that her understanding of His statement bore both a witness to her humility and to her simple trust in His power. She was rewarded not for her wit, but for her acknowledgement that she and her child were extremely lowly and dependent on a grace to which they had no right. Well, what's the outcome? Verse 30, And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Jesus did not even have to be present. Jesus did not even need to speak. He simply had to will the child's healing. When this woman returns home, her faith becomes sight. She found her daughter made well. Jesus restored her daughter and indeed this woman to the dignity to which God had made man, male and female. She had cast herself wholly upon Him in her need. She had wrestled with Him in her believing. If you didn't pick up the connection yet, she is a New Testament Jacob. It's as though she's taking hold of Jesus and she's saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Indeed, Israel means, as we heard, striving or struggling with God. This dramatic incident in the life of Jacob is a great picture of a true and living faith. Here she is fulfilling Israel's vocation. She wrestled with God and would not let Him go. Whereas as we saw in the rest of the Old Testament history and even up till now, Israel would not wrestle and did let go. But for this woman, Jesus was the most important thing in her life and she didn't let go of Him. Well, what should we walk away from this episode in the life and ministry with? What should we take with us? Well, the spotlight here is on the woman. Mark reveals that the woman's heart has been open to faith in Christ. I think most of us know that Lydia, we read in the uh, uh, book of Acts, her heart was opened to hear and believe the gospel. But here, this woman's heart has been opened to faith in Christ. And it shows us much about how we too can meet Jesus by faith. And this is why Mark records it. For his readers then... Gentile Roman believers in the first century and now for you and me and others here in the 21st century. So what should we walk away with? Well, a few things. First, notice again, she takes no offense 
at his blunt assessment of what she deserves. She has no right to be at the table. She, as a human, is a sinner and doesn't deserve his help. And here is the great irony and paradox of the gospel. Only if you admit, as it were, that you're a dog under the table can you become a child at the table. How about you? What would your response to Jesus be? Harsh? Insensitive? Or would you, like her, and like she demonstrated, understand that she had no claim but to beg for mercy? But secondly, notice, she nevertheless refuses to take no for an answer. She accepts his picture of being a dog under the table, but then humbly and respectfully argues with him. She knew that although food was primarily for the children, the dogs do get fed during the meal, and they get the leftovers. I, in other words, I don't deserve to be at the table, but there's enough for me on the table. Along with her humble acceptance of her unworthiness, she shows a confidence in the mercy and power of Christ. She is not put off by his apparent refusal. How about you all? When you go to the Lord in prayer and you meet what you may believe is a refusal, do you let go? Do you walk away? Or do you stay? and respectfully, and humbly, and in a position recognizing that you are the creature and He is the Lord, do you, as it were, argue with Him? And thirdly, more than a clever response that the woman makes, it shows us an absolutely crucial balance in our approach to Jesus. Because on the one hand, there could be too much pride. How dare you say that I'm unworthy of you? Had she said that, she would have not found Christ. However, notice there was no, not too much despair. You're right. There's no mercy or help for me. Had she had that response, she would have missed Christ. In other words, to not believe in the magnitude of your sin or in the magnitude of His grace is to fail to find Christ as Savior. So ask yourself today, this afternoon, are you laying hold of Christ with the same confidence, the same determination, and the same humility with which this woman did? This woman unnamed, but we know where she's from, and we know who she meets. This woman gives us a great example of true saving faith, the heart's proper response to the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does she do? She makes a statement of faith. And it's faith seen, not really told because in Matthew 15 in response to this we read these words of Jesus oh woman great is your faith we don't have to hear that we only 
are seeing it. This could not be more different than the hard-heartedness the hard-heartedness of the religious leaders of Israel that we've seen so far. And so what do we see in her example of faith? Once again, on the one hand, no hostility. You're right, I am a dog, I am a sinner, unclean and unfit. But on the other hand, no despair. I know you are merciful and I know your love is abundant. I know there is some for me. I don't deserve it, but I need it. So it's important, either pride, not believing in and acknowledging your sin, or despair, not believing in and acknowledging God's grace, they are both forms of faithlessness. Pride on the one hand and despair on the other. And so the solution to the universal problem of a sinful, unclean, defiled human heart that we've seen in Mark 7, 1 through 23, is not striving on your own for moral perfection, but rather it's admitting your moral failure and trusting completely in Christ's forgiveness. That's the call of Christ. Remember Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's the call that we continually need to hear and it's the message that we continually need to believe. And this woman heard the call and she believed the message. And my friends, this is the call that those around us here in northern Kentucky and greater Cincinnati need to hear and it's the message that they need to believe. Are they hearing it from us? from both our lips and our life? I believe that's the question that this text leaves us with. Because you see, Christians, those people with faith in Christ alone for salvation, Christians ain't too proud to beg. Because you see, Jesus means that much to them. How much... Does Jesus Christ, as He's revealed in the Gospel, how much does Jesus mean to you? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that You are perfect, pure, unchangeable you are wise and gracious just merciful father we rejoice that we see this account of a woman meeting Jesus and coming to faith in him neither despair on the one hand or pride on the other kept her from Jesus. Oh Father, would you give us a growing understanding of the one Savior and the true Lord. Father, would you give us a growing humility and confidence to come before you to fall upon 
our knees and upon our face before you, acknowledging you as the Savior and the Lord, and receiving from you mercy and grace. Father, enable us then to get up from that position and to love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly with you, our God. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.